Guaranteed to be worth the wait for a change. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. on the record the following intro is under review var will have a check we'll come back in about an hour's time hey everybody welcome to episode 290 of motorsport 101 i'm your friendly neighbor host dre harrison and uh whew, we got some uh, good stuff to get to here it comes at the end unfortunately we have to get through the daytona 500 first um um uh. it, it's ironic we came off the um a pretty interesting nascar movie um, to say the least, last time out, um, and well, we tried with this year's Daytona 500. Yeah, we so tried. We gave it a good old try. Uh, it, the, the good it old seems that, try. It seems that if we get a good 24, we get a pretty crap 500, and vice versa. Yeah, it seems to be one way or the other. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll break down how it all turned out. We've got a little bit of interesting Formula One news to get through, and in the second half of the show, we'll be talking all about. Formula E's 2021 season preview. We go team by team as we go up and down the field as their season starts next weekend. I think it's, I think it's the 26th, I want to say. Um, 26th and the 27th. Drink. Yeah, double yeah, double header in Saudi Arabia to start off the season. And we'll break all of that down going into the second half of the show. But with me, this, as always, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. I truly hope that by the time this episode comes out that the state of Texas will have thawed out and that maybe some of the people in charge can, you know, think about the choices that have put their people in this position to begin with. Just a thought. A very, a very wholesome thought indeed. Uh, stay safe down there in Texas uh, from, from, from this Brit from across the pond um, as well. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hello. About to get hit by another big snowstorm here in New York, and everything's just going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, here comes King with that smug blue checkmark energy. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's got gritters and stuff. Everything will be fine in New York. They get three of these a year. Nah. Um, <laughs> three. <laughs> smug git. <laughs> and also with me is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm also going to be getting that snowstorm, and unlike King, who's confident about it, I live on a cliff. <laughs> Real fun to get down the driveway in the morning. That, 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 that ain't good. Um, do you just, like, roll yourself down the hill and hope for the best? Like, it doesn't become like a barreling snowball by the time you're halfway down. Yeah, no, no, I just get to the top and cro- crouch down and then spin dash like Sonic. You see, it's a <laughs> metaphor for the number of green flag overtakes in this year's Daytona 500. Uh. Oof. Big oof. Big oof. Um, so yeah, we'll be talking about the Daytona 500 very briefly. We've also got Formula 1 news. Again, uh, we could be seeing another weekend format change. Kinda. Sorta. Um, yes, if you think you've heard this before, you probably have. <laughs> but uh, this one is actually looking like it's probably going to happen. More on that soon, as well as Red Bull finally revealing what they're doing with their power units next year. And of course, as mentioned, the Formula E 2021 Season 7 preview 
later on as well. And places you can find us in the meantime, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. If you're watching us on YouTube, hi. Subscribe, hit the bell if you haven't already. If you're not, our Twitter handles are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at CBuckby917. As I said, on the screens right now, if you're watching on YouTube, our podcast itself is motorsport underscore 101. Uh, we're on Instagram, um, motorsport101 pod for all updates on our content over there. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Fuddlers gets you early access to all of our audio shows. You can upgrade to $10 for the video versions and access to the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out shout out to tony finley jason sasha um who's currently celebrating man city's goats coming back in one fell swoop lucky git um cash and zoe have a good one guys enjoy the show um and uh, yeah you can find all those details and a whole lot more on our website motorsport101.com so, without further ado, let's get into the news. So, fellas, let's just say everything about the Daytona 500 pretty much didn't go to plan. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah that would was, be a fair assessment. It was the perfect <laughs> way to start the best season ever. Oh man, if this is what they're calling the best season ever, we're in big trouble. Um... It started off at 3 p.m., as was very controversial on Twitter, because we knew days in advance that it's going to rain pretty much all late afternoon on Sunday. But think about that primetime viewing window, Cam. We got to get that primetime viewing window for the finish. No. What prime and, time? And we can't have, what viewing? And we can't have the yeah, the, we can't have the West Coast waking up at no 9 a.m. I mean, who wakes up at 9 a.m. for for a race in the United States? That would you know, admittedly, every I, I don't fan. know where anywhere in the world where before 8 p.m. is prime time. Uh, no, 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 no they certainly not here. They, they time it in with factoring in red flags for crashes. Oh, they just assume. Oh. They just assume. Yeah, we're gonna have to stop this race. Yeah, but uh, that, that, we got that, about, that's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, um, race started. We were under the threat of rain pretty much immediately, and the drivers knew they had to get all they could get. Well, on lap fifteen, shit got bad real quick, and I think sixteen of the forty-something cars got wiped out in a single crash, including yeah, including the pole sitter the, Alex Bowman. Yeah, the pole sitter and outside pole sitter, former outside pole sitter due to the move to a backup car, a lot of good cars got wiped out. Yeah, not to name names, but Christopher Bell, we're looking at you. We're looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When you have a run and you're about to hit someone on a plate track at a bad angle, you don't go through with it. Yeah, this becomes very important later on in the race. Although I will say this pileup did give us some good content. Tyler Reddick came back with a car that was just, I I don't know how to describe it, but suffice to say, he had accidentally turned his Cup Series car into a wheel and modified. Yeah, imagine imagine being at one of the most aerodynamically dependent tracks in all of motorsport, honing your car for months in a wind tunnel, and you get passed by a car with no front end. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? 
<laughs> yeah, on the downside, uh, car falling apart. Uh, William Byron did manage to get his car fixed, but not enough to make sure that bits of it didn't fall off directly into the path of journeyman driver Quinn Huff and ruining his race. Oh. But he probably should have been parked two laps prior. Yeah, and uh, after that happened, and we had the aftermath of that crash, the rains came down and didn't stop oh. coming down for about six hours. I was at the point where I was just like, buddy, call this race, push it back to tomorrow, and let these people go on with their lives. Most of the drivers were off taking photos of themselves at nice chain sit-down restaurants. <laughs> oh, Lord. Didn't Ross Chastain go to McDonald's? He did. He ordered, he ordered McDonald's for his entire team. Someone um, had McDonald's. Someone went to Panda Express. Someone went to Cheddar's, which is basically like... Like a more southern version of Applebee's yeah. is the oh, way yeah. I would describe Does it. Does everything there have cheese? Uh, amazingly, not. Uh, I, also loved, I also love that two of our Europeans <laughs> in our Discord, Finley and Jason, said, I went to bed. Buddy, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was a smart move. Yeah, by all accounts, um, we figured that this race was done on Sunday and would resume on 4 p.m. Monday on Fox Sports 1 thus destroying any ratings they might have achieved by starting the race at 3 p.m. But see, here's the, the thing, Cam. Either noon. decision they make, either decision they make, they are fucked in the ratings. Yeah. yeah, they are. They made their own bed and they got to lay in it. But, amazingly, we got enough of a break in the rainstorms to dry the track and get going just after 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And was it worth it, Cam? Was it Absolutely worth the not! Because this race <laughs> yes! was shit. <laughs> we had, oh my god. So so all the way towards the end of stage one, it was single file up near the wall behind the dominant car on the day. One of Mr. Denver Hamlin going for three oh, in a row. Our old buddy. <laughs> yes. Uh, noted team owner and Jordan Brand athlete. That becomes important later. <laughs> and it became a reoccurring theme of Hamlin leading at the end of a stage we'd get a little bit of passing a little bit of action and then as soon as the new stage would start right back to single file Hamlin led 98 laps Yeah, if it, this was, was a race where best car wins uh, Hamlin's a four time winner of this event which would have put him in very elite territory of himself, Richard Petty, Cale Yarborough and nobody else in the history of the great American race, registered trademark. <laughs> yeah. Um, his car looked like Dale Jr.'s 2015 plate car. He could do any, he could pass anyone he wanted. He could get to the front more or less at will. But you know where it looked the most comfortable, as did most everybody's cars? The high groove. Yeah. The high groove, single file, up near the wall. Um, and his car could pull that top lane so effectively that anyone dropping down to the bottom lane, you know, they could put a line together, but they couldn't get up to him. So, and then final pit stops happened. Because absolutely mm. nothing happened in the meantime. Let's skip to the final pit stop. <laughs> Everyone He's pits. not making this up, by the way. He's, yeah, like, yeah, he's not no, exaggerating not, any not. of this. No. Um, we get to the final pit stops. Of course, at play tracks, you pit in groups because you need drafting partners. The Gibbs cars all pitted together, and Hamlin had quite literally too good of a pit stop. 
He got out oh. ahead of his teammates, and he lacked a drafting partner. He he lacked momentum, and he got passed by the the oncoming pack. It is the weirdest thing that at super speedways where they clamp down on the horsepower, they don't use restrictor plates, they use what's called tapered spacers in the engines to slow the cars down, that having a huge lead is the worst possible thing that could happen to you at a race like this, or at Talladega. It's like you do everything right and it ends up being wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he ends up being shuffled back in the pack and never really made a move. And in the final few laps, we had death, taxes, blood, shit, other various fluids, Penske at the front <laughs> in a one-two uh, of Joey Logano shocker. and Brad Keselowski. Being followed by one Michael McDowell, mm-hmm. the guy Let's who's most it. famous for having one of the scariest crashes of the late 2000s, driving the Aaron's double zero car at Texas. Yeah. For those who don't know, Michael McDowell is the definition of a NASCAR journeyman driver. He had spent years at start and park teams, which, as their name implies, show up to start the race, run a few laps, then park it and collect the prize money, which used to be a viable strategy. In other words, Michael McDowell was not very competitive for many, many years of his career. Um, He is also probably lesser known for winning uh, a pro Mazda championship on the road to Indy, a cup of coffee and champ car as Ryan Hunter Ray's replacement at the end of 2005. Suffice to say, this man has had a long and arduous career, and it looked like he was never going to win a NASCAR Cup Series race after being at this game for 14 years. Yeah, I was going to say, Sasha and I score literally, put, literally pointed to describe him in one word, and the word was not even a real one. It was called unserious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which... um, yeah, genuinely a, a decent driver, but just never, he's never had an opportunity at a, uh, a top quality team. However, Front Row Motorsports, the team he drives for, who are never on the front row, they're always pretty solid at plate tracks. Yeah, this is a team that once was a start and park operation. They were once field fillers. And I'm not going to tell you that they are a front-running organization, because they're not, but they are at the very least a plucky lower midfield team. Yeah, they're always there. They don't even have to worry about qualifying. Yeah. Most normal tracks. Um, every time at a race like this, especially at a super speedway, because of the nature of the racing itself... A team like that has a fighting chance at a out-of-nowhere victory. Yeah, because it's less about the quality of the equipment you're in and more about playing the game and being able to position yourself uh, in a place to succeed. But we get to the final lap because there was so little action that they waited until the last run down the backstretch to make a move. <laughs> um, we get a second lane. Joey Logano's in front. Keselowski's being pushed by McDowell, and oh no, someone someone puts it into a gap that isn't supposed to be there. Someone throws a block, and oh, yeah, that was a scary wreck. It's always scary when I see a sudden burst of fire coming out of a pack of cars that's just being wadded up and chewed apart, like they've just run, been run through the guts of Truckosaurus. Yeah, yeah, um crash was nasty. Thankfully, uh no one hit in a place that uh would pose any danger to the drivers, obviously NASCAR cup cars, if nothing else, are very, very safe. 
We didn't have a repeat of last year where someone took an actual stock car to the actual head. Thank goodness for that. Ryan Newman's race ended much earlier. Yeah, Ryan Newman's race ended in the initial lap 15 pileup. Yeah. Uh, So, we are left with only a handful of cars left going around turn three and turn four. Michael McDowell is leading next to Chase Elliott, next to Austin Dillon, and they throw the caution to end the race. Oh! Michael McDowell is your 2021 Daytona 500 champion. This has a habit of happening. Uh, First-time winners uh, at the Daytona 500 every 10 years, because we had it with Waltrip in 2001, Trevor Bain in 2011, and now McDowell in 2021. And, I mean... I know that in retrospect, Michael McDowell probably, t- I don't even know if it was probably pushed Brad Keselowski in a run that he couldn't back out of uh, to take the win. But like that precedent was set when Austin Dillon quite literally dumped Eric Almarola into the turn three fence to win the Daytona 500. Yeah, because dumping cars at super speedways in excess of 190 miles per hour is no longer taboo. Um, look, I'm not mad that Michael McDowell won the race. He seems like a genuinely good dude by all accounts, and watching someone get their first win is, it's always cool. Especially when their first win is the Daytona 500. 500. Yeah. It's a pretty good first win. Hmm. Yeah, but, uh... Amongst an incredibly boring race... Where not a whole lot happened. It was defined by two huge pileups. They couldn't even let us race back to the line when there was no one injured and there was no threat to the remaining cars of getting in another crash. Unless they caused it of their own volition. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. That typic- It's typically been the play. If there's like a big pileup with half left to go, they will throw the yellow... Not in the last couple of years, as long as it happens in a place where, gee, you're not going to have them going full speed back to the line into that wreckage. Yeah. Yeah, Let them race. It it seemed uh, like they didn't want to, they didn't want to take the chance after what happened last year. Yeah, Hmm. no, I I didn't have a problem with that. My problem with this race is that it was, it, it just generally wasn't worth waiting it out to see if they would restart it on that same day or not. I mean, all this was was the infamously boring 2000 Daytona 500, which had a grand total of, like, five green flag on-track lead changes. Only (laughs) it didn't cock-tease an upset first-time winner like it did in 2000. Sup, John Benson Jr.? Sup, Lycos? Yeah, the only thing, ironically, the only thing that generated any excitement before the final couple laps was people trying to make plays for stage points right at the end of stages. Were it not for those, we'd probably run single file. And if it wasn't for Bubba Wallace having legitimate shots to win until he had to pit, make an unscheduled stop for a loose wheel. (laughs) Yeah, Bubba looked great. Um, he was running up in the top five for most of the race. Uh, Did, didn't have a particularly good start, given his, given his car failed inspection three times before he'd even started. Yeah, <laughs> oh, he, yeah uh, that... he lost his qualifying spot and had to fight his way up, but now that he's in some good equipment, he's showing what he can do. 
Yeah, it's mm. good enough that it has to go through inspection multiple times. In case you That's were wondering, in case it. you were worried about it, if you're in case not, you were worried about if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah this race was um, bad. This is probably the worst Daytona 500 I've watched and have cognitive memory of because I I was three in 2000. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I think it's right there with 20. it's right there with 2013 of dude, let something it, it, happen, anything. It was a dud. It was a it, dud. I'm I'm happy for McDowell, but that race was a dud. And speaking yeah. of duds, um, Dre, we got some news about Formula One sprint races. We do indeed. Um, there was a meeting between Formula One's team principals last week. Um, a, a range of topics were discussed. The other one we'll get to uh, shortly. But one of the big takeaways that came out of it was uh, what they were saying was universal agreement between the principals, which in and itself is somewhat of a miracle. Um, yes, they all agreed on something. I know, I'm as shocked as you are. But uh, the, amazingly, what they agreed on was the concept of adding sprint races to the calendar. Now, hear me out here. This is a little vague because they haven't actually formulated a hard plan for this yet. That's what they're now going to go off and do. Everyone was like, sprint races? Does that, does that sound good? And I was like, yeah, sound, sounds all right. Um, so what do we, how do we actually do these? Um, I'll get back to you on that. So they're going to go off and, and formulate a hard plan, but the the rumblings that was in the meeting were along the lines of a free race trial, um, probably later on in the year. I think the three rumoured circuits were Inter Lagos, Canada, and Monza is where they could end up trying this out. Um, you know, Canada, I think, is normally July. Inter Lagos is normally down the back. Uh, that is a Monza, bold September. assumption that we're going to have all three of those races <laughs> to begin with. But that's besides... Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, the way COVID's going, God knows at this point. Um, we're like Your guess is as good as mine, but uh, that's the provisional plan. And I mean the super provisional plan. Um, they, would, they would have some form of smaller point system for these sprint races in general. Probably similar to something like what we get currently in Formula 2 and 3. Um, Formula 2 specifically, because we all know they have sprint races, and I think they only give out 15 points for a win as opposed to the normal 25 for the feature in F1 races in general. So if I had to guess, something along those lines. Um, and in, they haven't worked out the format or the length of the race yet and the other little things like how would the grid be formed, how tyre allocations would work out for something like that. So, so they like, basically haven't decided anything yeah, it's like, it is the yeah. we agree on the idea of it let's actually make a plan but there, there's there, nothing concrete there's so many falling blocks where this could fall apart where it's like again the idea of giving out reduced points like yes they've all agreed to that but it's like hey is this race going to set the grid for the race or like it's there's so many places where this could fall apart and not happen, and this has happened so many times before that I'm right. not I'm not buying in until I see a concrete like, for plan. Once, for for, for, yeah, like, for many... once, King is even more cynical than I am about this, and that's saying something because I'm normally more optimistic. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's nothing about this really is set in stone. Um, this is like this is like, like a, how many like years have we been hearing about game? this? 
Yeah, th- yeah, this is like an alpha for a video game. It's not even like the beta you, you might get to publicly test. This is the alpha version. This of- is like this is like the current NSX of ideas where we saw the idea five years before it actually happened, and we're all just like, <laughs> just either go through with it or cancel it. Yeah, yeah, and as King points out, I think King's spot on in the sense of there is a lot of potential dominoes along the way where this could, you know, self-destruct, i.e. the point system. Does it set Sunday's grid? What's the tyres going to look like? How long is the races going to be? You know, what does it do with engine parts? Because you're going to be running... You could potentially be running cars for longer depending on how long the sprint race ends up being. Yeah, because it's not not so much the the sprint races themselves. It's the effect it has on the rest of the weekend around it and indeed the rest of the season around it. Yeah, because there there are so many dividing points where team principals have aired different opinions on what it should be. Where some people, mm. where some team principals would like the idea of a reverse grid sprint race and, you know, cited, uh, you know, the W Series non-championship race is a great example of how it could be exciting. While other people, uh, you know, Toto Wolf, say that uh, reverse grids are too WWE for Formula One. Yeah, I, did, I, I oh, remember, I remember back saying to, that last back year. Back to this. If, if there is some gimmick that pops up in racing that people don't like, let's compare it to pro wrestling. That's a fucking Straight laziest. The, that's the, the laziest line of reasoning. I I love how most times the WWE get get brought up about a for like any change being gimmicky is mainly because it would cause things to be too chaotic and random. While pro wrestling is very much, hey, this is what the finish is gonna be. <laughs> Yeah, it's already, yeah, it's it's like, already you're, you're complaining about it being unscripted and then comparing it to the most <laughs> scripted of all sports. Do you think mo- that yeah. people, do you think that Super Formula fans go, wow, they're turning this into New Japan Pro Wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the love- guy that's just like, oh man, they're turning NASCAR to All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> oh. Yes, uh, Michael McDowell is all in for Daytona 500. Um, but uh, no, it's it's. It, I I do find it amazing that that's the laziest comparison in the book, and that it's also just so heavily. You're, you're talking about the most heavily scripted sports program um, out there, and yet Formula One can't string together a hard plan for a sprint race to save its life because we've been we've been having this conversation on and off. For years, yeah. um, regarding either a, a potential reverse grid race, this was all the rumbling talk last year. When I first saw this come up on the news, I literally joked on Twitter, "Oh, is that time of year again already? We won't nobody save this one till June." Um, yeah, and-, that's, and that's just it. I mean, look how many years they were trying to mess with qualifying. The one time they did, it sucked so bad they reverted it within three rounds. We don't speak of elimination qualifying round here. It's 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 in the cursed bin alongside Lord Voldemort. But that's the thing. Um, if you go it, through Formula One's history, that's the thing that's always changed qualifying. Like every decade, mm. people somehow find a way to get bored with qualifying and come up with a new format. And I think it's now, easiest, yeah. and now we've come up with a qualifying format that actually works. Yeah, it's like that's that's the whole point I was going to make. It was the okay, you want sprint races, fine. I can understand why you might think that's an attractive option. Um, and look, on its most pure and basic argument, more racing is probably a good thing. Yeah. My counterpoint to all of this was, 
you're messing with arguably the best part of a race weekend, which is the current qualifying format. The current yeah. qualifying format is awesome. I've always really enjoyed this qualifying format. I like the free splits. I like the drama of guys being on the bubble. Guys often getting their last runs over the line and seeing how the timing tower goes up and down. It's awesome. I, like, I genuinely really like this qualifying format, and I don't think there's a particularly good reason to change it. But... <laughs> if your product is great, I could see why someone might want. Oh, more racing! <laughs> That's what we're really here for. Yeah. Um, is the know. racing product I... really that great, though? Yeah, that's really. what I'm saying. Like, like the like the impression that I got was just like, damn, people really don't want to see more Formula One. Yeah, I was that's, like, it's probably yeah, pretty cause, telling because the idea of multiple races in a weekend and sprint and feature races come from championships where. The cars are a lot closer. Uh, the racing is genuinely more exciting, and you genuinely want to see more racing. Yeah, what, what's exactly. the point going to be if we get a sprint race that pays off less points if, let's say it's reverse grid. Mercedes mm. start. Let, let's make the top ten reverse grid. Mercedes, Mercedes starts in ninth and tenth. They mm. cut through the field in five laps, and the race finishes as per damn usual. Yeah. and that, Because if, the if races are long... <laughs> The midfield guys will just probably sink to the same point that they're at because the Mercs and Red Bulls are just going to blow through the field. Yeah. yeah. This, this would be yeah. a good idea if the cars were more equal, but they're not. Nah. They're, 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 they're just not. not. Four cars in the field are busted, and the bottom six are significantly slower um, than the other midfield... Do the math here, Dre. The midfield ten, I guess you could say. Of, yeah. You know, McLaren, Racing Point, Renault, which I say Alpine now, technically, Ferrari and AlphaTauri, they're in their own little mini midfield block, and then the midfield bottom three are... Ferrari. <laughs> I know! Well. What a weird what a weird sentence. Um, but, yeah, overall, I guess, okay, I mean, if it's a free race trial, I mean, sure, why not, but... Let's see if they actually are able to draft a plan that they can all agree on. Because if there's one thing we joke about on this show relentlessly, it's that Formula One never is able to unanimously agree on anything. So um, good luck with that, fellas, and uh, I'll await uh, I'll await any further developments on that. The other major uh, story that came out um, of this meeting was the unanimous agreement of an engine freeze, effective. 2022, there will be no more development on the current power units when the new regulations start next season. They're set to start in 2022 for now. Again, that could still change. We already had this brought forward. Also pushed back, I should say, a year last year. So again, we don't know what will happen with COVID and whatnot and that you know the domino effect that could come with that. But as it stands... The uh, engine freeze is now official, so development of the power units is off the table. Bad news, Ferrari. <laughs> well, well but, that, uh, that's also addressed in the uh, in mm. the decision to create an engine freeze. Is Formula One intends, and I pay attention to that word, intends to try and balance the engines together uh, via fuel flow adjustments. And uh, this was Christian Horner that came out and said this, and it was like it was like a gentleman's agreement that they would try and keep the power units close. And my first thought was, good luck with that. <laughs> like the, the big problem is, is that these are King and I discussed this a couple days ago. These are power units. 
They are not just an engine with a hybrid system bolted in. They are one holistic system. Mm. And if you take fuel flow away, you take hybrid yield away. You potentially compromise reliability. They're going to need to be very, very careful that in trying to take a little bit of fuel flow off the top to just bring a team back towards every or a manufacturer back towards everyone else, that they don't accidentally rip the balls off their power unit and cause their ERS system to cut out halfway down the straightaways like what we saw when Honda couldn't feed their their ERS system correctly in 2015 and Ferrari couldn't in 2014. Once the ERS system cuts out, that's a hard 160 horsepower drop and you just stop accelerating halfway down the straight. Yeah, and there are... uh... Well, we'll get to them very, very briefly. There's there's going to be a team with, you know, a power unit that doesn't technically have a research and development capability, doesn't have the capabilities of the other manufacturers to develop and see what would our power unit be like if we had, you know, less or more fuel flow. Uh, and that could be an issue for them. Yeah, because obviously the hardware will be frozen, but, you know... Uh, unless we get a hard engine map ban, you're always going to have teams pushing the issue on software. Indeed. And as King alluded to, that team will be Red Bull Racing because uh, they've announced, I think it was the same day actually, or the day yep. after the uh, freeze was made official, that uh, they have bought the intellectual property on the Honda Power Unit going forward. So at least until 2025, um, they are going to have... Uh, their own branded power units. They're going to, have to apparently develop them in-house um, at, uh, in Milton Keynes to work on it from there, basically. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they, they're, they have, they've dodged the bullets of having to be supplied by Renault, which was very much on the table last year. Um, oh, geez. that would have been fun. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think development is a little bit the wrong word as yeah. due to what we just mentioned. Uh, they will have... Until 2025, effectively the same 2021, end of 2021 spec uh, Honda power units. They'll be built and maintained by Red Bull and supplied, obviously, to Red Bull and AlphaTari, unless AlphaTari changes their name again. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the most Red important Red thing Bull. that they have now? No. You know the most important thing that this team has now? What? Not a single excuse for getting this wrong. <laughs> yeah, if they've got their engines, yeah, if they've got their own engines that they can, once they have those engines in house, and they already have a very, very close working relationship with Honda, hmm. they're not going to have any packaging surprises. They're not going to be wondering how much power it's going to make, and they're going to have no excuses to build a car around this, yeah. especially yeah. if the engines are BOP correctly and Mercedes and Mugen Honda are now equal. The ball is in your court, Red Bull. It is your job to make a car good enough to compete for the world championship. And I think that point that you just brought up earlier, the the, the first time we've ever mentioned it in relation to Formula 1, BOP. And I think in terms of yes, the freeze has allowed Honda to, you know, own their own intellectual, like, 
only IP to the, yeah. their power units. But that's that's kind of less important in the grand, grand scheme of things. F1 having any form of BOP to bring the cars closer together is mass is a massive thing for the sport. And I'm surprised it's not being talked about more oh, in terms of because people as who soon hate as it BOP hits. or love or love BOP. Yeah, as soon as it actually hits and it affects Let's be honest, it's going to be Mercedes because they have the best power unit. Yeah. Uh, it's going to go down like a lead balloon with those people. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as Mercedes loses a race because they happen to not have the engine advantage that they normally have, people are going to cry foul and claim that it's not a real win. I am seeing the Twitter comments now. I already know who's going to tweet it. You were in my DMs a couple weeks ago. You know who you are. <laughs> Oh, because, yeah, F1 Twitter, that great barometer of F1 discourse. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, King Lizard, I mean, you're opening Pandora's box here when it comes to Formula 1 because you've never really had a hardcore BOP You've never had a situation. any attempt at balancing the cars. We've had and, regulation uh, shakeups to try and mix up the order. We were always going to get concessions a la MotoGP uh, mm. in the new era but never an attempt to actively peg back and improve certain cars to make them more equal. Indeed. Um, and that potentially could be a massive deal. We'll have to obviously keep an eye on that going forward. But uh, that is potentially a game-changer. And uh, I fear certain factories won't like it if their power units are being curbed or cut off at the pass to try and bring everybody else into play. I mean, Formula 1 does seem to now actively is thinking shit we really do need to try and make the sport a bit more balanced here um salary caps cost caps the, the hint of bop um an engine freeze uh i, I, I think up. i think more balanced is kind of a gentle term i think formula one is thinking about making their sport more of a sport yeah, yeah. You mean it's not just a development race anymore to sell road cars? What do you mean? Well, that's um, blasphemous! This goes against the very barriers of Formula One! The F1 fans, and in and of itself, F1 doesn't know what it wants Formula One to be. No. Because mm. you have people screaming on both sides of the aisle that it should be more of a sport, or it should be more of a development war. Yeah. Road cars, road relevance, etc. Yeah, it's 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 a nasty tug of war. I think we should simply enter Japanese K cars. Who wouldn't want to see Max Verstappen wheeling a Honda Beat and its zebra striped seats? Um, I I but it's I like, vote but, to, but <laughs> so I, I vote Fernando Norris in the Daihatsu Copen. Um, <laughs> can they all be shaped like Formula One cars? Man, now I just want to watch more K4 GP. That's what I. Want. Uh, Go! <laughs> Go! Oh, dear. A couple um, of minor bits of biking used to get out of the way before we move into the season review. I'm going to get them out of the way real quick. Number one, Yaman Mir teased us all for 12 days about what number he was going to run next year. He's keeping the 36. He's not taking the number one plate. He teased, he teased us all on Twitter. Yoan, Yo, you're boring. Like, honestly, you've barely got more Twitter followers than John McPhee. Take the damn <laughs> one plate. You need all the help you can get out here. Blue, <laughs> blue ball since 2012. <laughs> no one wants the one plate. Like, honestly, riders are incredibly superstitious, but also, I mentioned this on, on my Substack that generally speaking, riders care a lot more about their branding these days, and their number is a huge part of that. Uh, um, if, if, I was, if I was sitting in the FIM offices right now, I'd be like, 
So, guys, when are we changing the International Sporting Code to mandate that the champion has to use the one? <laughs> ah, now it's all okay. I don't know. We don't give Scott Nitson that much crap for passing on the one every year. Or I don't know. <laughs> like, North American Motorsports is a lot different, even though here in the U.S., like, the Supercross champion always runs the one. Yeah, like it's just, I say, it's it's, just it's the, the same way thing. here. It's just th- there's the superstition mm. around it because uh, there's only Valentino who broke that mold, at least in modern times, where he just he just kept the 46 going. Yeah, it's a strange one because Jorge Lorenzo did it the first time in 2011 when he won the world title in 2010, even had the number one shaped like a JL, so it looked you know, it looked like it was yeah. on brand for him. Lost the title to Casey Stoner that year, won it again in 2012, and then didn't bring back the number one plate afterwards and stuck with 99. Um, the last person that used the one plate was Casey Stoner back in his final season in 2012. Marquez has had a chance to do it, uh, didn't take it, wanted to be. And if honestly, if you go in his store, it's 93 everywhere. It's like the like yeah, the I think the last. Are the last vestige of it was like a, li- a tiny little number one on his rear-facing camera, I think in like 2014. Yeah, but th- that's it. It's like, it's like riders are now synonymous with their number and it's a big part of their brand now. So I don't expect people to take it. I think Mir missed the trick um, by not doing yeah, so. I'm not, I'm not bothered know. by him not running the one. I'm bothered by him teasing us for two weeks that he yeah. might yeah. run the number that, one. That's the, that's like, the annoying part. You're right. Like, he had... My boy Lewis on the MotoGP main account hashtag the decision like it was full LeBron James for a week and a half. I'm taking my talents back to my regular number. Yeah, and it was like you don't tease your audience for a week and a half only to stick with the same number. You thought, oh, that means he has to be going to the number one plate, surely? Nope, didn't do it. Stuck with thirty six. Said that while the idea of running the one was tempting, he said he won two world titles on the thirty six, and he wanted to stick with the number that brought him good luck. Fun times. Um, Also. I also shout out to Yamaha. They they we've actually had now two of the big three um, unveil their new bikes for 2021. Um, we we had the Yamahas a couple days ago. Very very weird green screening of <laughs> the whole way through. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's uh, <clears throat> a bit all over the place. Um, some interesting tidbits were dropped in the middle of that. Like Fabio Quartararo now has hired a sports psychologist. Which I thought was interesting after his uh, collapse last season. Um, yeah, how much are we going to bet that uh, in in preseason testing we're going to hear from all the Yamaha riders and team members of how fantastic this bike is, only for it to win in the opening two or three rounds, fall off, and then nobody can stop bitching about the bike for the rest of the year. I even got money. that about even money, champ. Yeah. <laughs> um, that will probably happen. Don't feel like a four year streak on this. They also revealed they've only got they've only got three top spec Yamahas between them and their satellite Patronus team, and guess which ones missed out again? That's right, the one who was the best on those bikes last season, Frankie Morbidelli. Um, <laughs> so Valentino Rossi gets the 2021 spec Yamaha, as does the two factory runners. Frankie Morbidelli, who let's not forget was championship runner up last year, doesn't get one. I just think that's funny, personally. Um, yeah, is, um, Dre, do you know if he's on the 2020 or 2019 spec uh, M1? 
I'm not sure yet. Apparently, they're going to be testing parts um, when they roll up in, in Qatar in, a, in about a month's time. Um, it's I'm, a apparently... weird way to boost Franco Morbidelli's uh, rider value by just having him constantly overachieve in year-old equipment. Yeah, <laughs> but year-old like, equipment was... that the Yamaha factory team can't stop whining about. Someone gets yeah, on it as used equipment and they go and beat the factory. Yeah, it's a strange one because Frankie, towards the end of last year, insisted to stick with the 2019 chassis and frame because he liked it so much. He didn't want the 2020 frames that, the, that his peers were running. He was like, no, no, I'm good on this one. And he won three races on it. So who am I to argue with the man? So I thought yeah. that was uh, I thought that was quite funny um, as well. So yeah, I think Honda's, I think Honda's presentation is oh, next. Oh, no, we need to talk week. about the other one that happened. King. Oh, what? <laughs> They're the same color as your shirt. Oh, and the most yeah. orange Very. bike ever produced. <laughs> Factory and Tech 3 KTM unveiled their bikes. Yeah, I was like, so King, what did you make of the all orange uh, Tech 3 lineup? It was extremely orange. Yeah. As orange as your jumper. The, the Tech 3 looks like what the Factory bike should look like. I know. Yeah, it, looks like, it looks like the livery they run in Supercross, where it's just, there isn't a livery, it's just orange. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just orange, like... I don't like how with the factory team you get this enormous matte dark blue typical Red Bull slab on the side of it. Like you get with their racing driver's helmets in Formula 1. It's like, just like, poof, Red Bull. Um, and it's like, yep, just in case you didn't know who, who sponsored this team um, or anything. Um, but KTM got the full orange gun up going on there. A bit concerned they have a lack of sponsors on the second bike. But besides that... Um, very pretty. If I do KTM so has an orange arrows F1 team thinks <laughs> that the KTM bikes of 2021 are too orange. And uh, yeah, Hondas is on February 22nd. Um, it that livery is the safest bet in the world because there is no yep. chance in hell that they're changing it. No, nope, I th- no, I thought no. they were personally going to bring back the Austin Powers one for the end of 2003. I just want them to bring back the dark Repsol colors. Also, uh, in another bit of news, Mark Marquez passed his most recent checkup. The bone oh, is healing well. Yay! Um, the entire rest of the MotoGP grid. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Keep back. It's, like, uh, it's, it, it's working. So, yeah, you can now basically train on an actual motorcycle and not just get... Obviously, he's got a, he's got work to do getting the strength back in his right arm. Because if you see pictures of him, his right arm is significantly smaller than his left one in terms of thickness. It's, it's um, the opposite of all the jokes we've seen in Family Guy. <laughs> very much so very much so so they'll be keeping an eye on that also it's the man's birthday today 28 years old it's happy birthday Mark Marquez it's a Christ. terrifying fall that that man's only 28 years old what have we done with our lives it's a terrifying thought um, <laughs> that he's already 28 years old Man's was a baby when he came into the sport. Yeah, remember, remember they changed the rules because he, he was under the 21-year-old minimum age limit to ride that bike. But they had to change the rules because he was he was technically Moto2 champ at 19. So they had to change the rules to say, hey, if you won the Moto2 title, we can promote you up now regardless of age. They had to, to do the same thing with Quattarara in Moto3 because that had a 16-year-old age limit and Quattarara was 15 when he won the junior world title. Let's just say Dorna has a great knack of bending their own rules to suit their needs. Um, it's, it's very, very useful. 
successful indeed. But happy birthday, yo, Mark. And, uh, yo, get, yo I cannot awesome. wait for Mark Marquez to show up in FP1 just popping out like John Cena at the Royal Rumble at the Garden in <laughs> 08. Four months removed from having pectoral torn off the bone. <laughs> oh, like that, that, that'll God, be uh, it's John Cena. Yeah, just 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 play the Stone Cold theme in the background as he comes out, and it's like, yeah, Marcus is coming out to raise hell. Um, so after this quick break, we'll be back and we'll be talking Formula E's 2021 season preview. For the purposes of bookkeeping, this is the first official FIA Formula E World Championship that we'll have in the year 2021. But the talent in the series and the manufacturer involvement, at least the opinion of this Motorsport 101 co-host, should have really justified its status as a top-level championship, a world championship many years before. Still, we're here now, and in the midst of the never-ending coronavirus outbreak, the only thing that's for sure about the Formula E calendar in 2021 is that nothing's for sure. Oh, by the time you hear this, we'll be racing in the streets of Riyadh for the doubleheader Daria E. Prix on the 26th and 27th of February. And what we also know is that the first part of the calendar thereafter is as follows. Rome on the 10th of April, the racing debut at the Circuit Ricardo Tormo Valencia follows that just two weeks later. We will have a Monaco E-Prix on the 8th of May by all accounts as the Principality is going to build the racetrack, just in the news today. Marrakesh and Morocco, always a favorite, follows on the 22nd of May. And then finally, the delayed Santiago E-Prix in Chile on the 5th and 6th of June, another doubleheader. And then after that, the second part of the calendar, King, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what it'll look like? <laughs> Yeah, um, due to the times we live in, it is, frankly, an unknown. Yeah, all of this is still very much up in the air. Um, looks like Saudi Arabia is a definite. Beyond yep. that, fingers crossed. Um, like Hopefully. That is a provisional schedule. Emphasis on provisional. Um, but uh, yeah, King, I know you wanted to mention the homologation status going in, going in as well. Yes, so far. Basically... Teams were given the option to homologate their new powertrains, which they would use for the rest of the Gen 2 period, uh, either at the start of this year or sometime later on this year. All but three teams elected to choose to uh, change over at the start of the year. All, all but Dragon, Nissan, and Tachita. And it's becoming fairly clear that all these teams will do the move over. Uh for the Romy Pre, whenever that may be, uh, even though it seems like Rome seems to be definitely going to happen, but, you know, nothing certain nowadays. Yeah. In, indeed. So Rome seems to be one of the critical points of the season. Again, as King pointed out, very interesting that it's the first and second team in last year's championship, and then the team second from last. <laughs> Bit of a bizarre one, that, but uh, we'll roll with yes. it now. We'll talk a little bit about this team by team. We're going to go in reverse championship order from last year, because that's way more fun. Um, which unfortunately means you've got to kind of get Neo free, free, free out of the way. Um, uh, where do we start with, with, with the Neo team here? They've been the little team who's tried. They didn't score a single point last season, despite having a car in 11, 30 doors. Yeah. Uh, it's, are, it's rough yeah, out here. It, it, it is rough out here, but 
testing looked a bit more promising. Oliver Turvey was in the top 10. Um, again, I, we would say that Valencia was completely unrepresentative until they changed the provisional calendar and now we're actually going to race around it. Um, so it's a little bit more relevant, I guess. Well, I, I, hope it's, I hope that this is a sign. I mean, because... It looks like Neo Triple Three is out of the worst of it, and regarding their driver lineup, Oliver Turvey has carried. As Oliver Turvey needs to go in for like spinal fusion surgery with how worn his back is from putting the t- putting that entire team on it for the last handful of years. Such a loyal servant. To and I'll to say this about answer. Tom Blumquist. I know he's not had many representative Formula E appearances. He only has a single point scoring finish, and that was in a partial season with Andretti a few years ago. But I generally get the impression that he's much better than his results show. I mean, Christmas, he was between Ocon and Verstappen in that year in European F3 in 2014. Yeah. Uh, on talent, on driving talent alone, this should be a much better team. I just can't see them breaking out of the basement just yet. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a year where we're gonna hear things from Neo Triple Three along the lines of that that long that long said phrase out of Philadelphia: "Trust the process." Oh God! <laughs> oh no! Someone turn up to Joel and B and see if he doesn't smack the taste out of your mouth right now. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'm going to put up 35 and, and lose by 20. It's, just, it's, it's, it's the Neo way. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as RJ alluded to, on, on, the driver lineup is a lot better on paper than what the team is pound for pound in the sport right now. But there's been no indication they're going to lift themselves out of the doldrums just yet. Um, that's I, the impression that I get, at least. Yeah, gut feeling they're probably going to be fighting for 11th with the next team. Yeah. Shall we, sh- sh- we talk about that next team? Because that next team is Dragon, another, the most popular team in the field. Yes, Giox uh, Dragon, who this year have uh, Nico Muller and Sergio Sete Camera. Ooh. Again, it's another case of the driving talent alone should indicate this is a competitive team. Dragon Racing just haven't been that since Jerome D'Ambrosio up and left them. Indeed. They've never been quite the same since then, and they've been down the bottom for a little while. There's been a lot of uh, calls to question about how that team has operated, what it's done with driver lineups... Do you remember when they were second in the team's championship in the inaugural year? That seems like a like a, a long gaping chasm ago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like recall back to the good old days of season one, where uh, the team that was now Neo Triple Three were the team champions, and Dragon were second in the championship. Now they're both on the bottom. <laughs> With, oh, with, with Oriel Serbia driving for Dragon and uh, and Charles Peak in the rotation at, at what was now Neo Triple Three, uh, this is wild. I I think uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you can't get much worse than they did last year, but I, I don't school. feel. Yeah, I can't. I there's the there's only always... thing that has me optimistic is how set a camera fares in its first full season it gets that yeah, far yeah it's the thing about these bottom two teams is that uh it's sir it sure as hell isn't the driving talent in the seats that are the problem 
I was gonna say, I on on a, on a scale of one to ten, how likely is it that you think the two drivers, Nico Muller and Sergio Sergio Sete are in those seats right now, are the two drivers that finished the year? Uh, I don't know about that, Chief. <laughs> I mean, Christ, they they uh, Brendan Hartley was just like, I'm good before we even got to the Berlin Sets Temple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want that. I'm I'm gonna go win some Lamar races. Fuck Neil this. Yanni, Neil Yanni up and left after one bad weekend in Hong Kong. Oh man! And we thought that was as bad as it was gonna get for his former lead tenure. Unfortunately, not. Mm, mm, mm. So, King, what's your gut feeling? Still, still in the fight for the the, the temp spot here. Gut feeling, I think Dragon are going to finish last and Nia will be 11th. Damn. <laughs> so you think Dragon goes all the way to the bottom? Yes. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. I, I started from the bottom and was somehow even able to get even lower. I'd hope they'd pick up at least some points to offset that. I- I don't think any team's going to go scoreless, but that's not out of the realm of question. Yeah, Neo went scoreless last year. So, to the nine spot from last year, the our friends at Rocket Venturi Racing. Um, uh, we have adorable Tara, and now rookie making his debut in the series. Norman Norman Nato is coming in as well in the yes. seventy one car. Adam Otara, the other Swiss DTM driver in the field. <laughs> We're, we're all one big family here, um, and again, like they were ninth, they were ninth overall last year. Obviously, significantly better than the bottom two that we've seen. They were they were forty four points last year in the points on quite a few occasions, but never troubling the the thick end of the, of the leaderboard. Again, it's another t- like, like Motara is genuinely really really quick when he's got oh, yeah. the, the right car underneath him. The problem is yeah. that they don't seem to have the right car underneath them very often. Um, that's no. the impression that I get. And you know, we had one the year before last. The problem is now that last year Mortara scored like all but three of the team's points because I, I'm I'm not saying Felipe Massa was a bit over the hill last season, but my man's was cooked. 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 Uh, Norman Nato. Was never a serious Formula One prospect when he was racing in Formula Two, but I'll say this: he's a much better choice for Formula E than I think people give him credit for. I mean, he's been solid in endurance racing ever since he um, stepped in there. Yeah, he drove for Rebellion the last couple of years and was yeah won a couple of rounds, finished second uh, overall last year. Yeah, against Mm. some quality co-drivers, he he was far from embarrassing himself. He did a good job. Yeah. I, I don't expect him to lead the team, but I expect him to be to be a bit more productive than Moss was last season. Yeah. I, I still expect Martara to be breathe the stir that stirs this the straw that stirs the drink. I can talk. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's that weird situation where Formula E requires a lot of different skill sets from a lot of different style styles of racing to be good in Formula E. But mm, yeah. usually the number one determining factor on whether a rookie will be good or not in Formula E is how much they're willing to learn and adapt to Formula E's unique style of racing. So not causing a lap one wreck, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or causing a lap one wreck and being the, or, or causing it and being the one who benefits from it. Both Indeed. can apply. I mean, 
any major movement out of them, do you reckon, King? Or are they going to be in that lower end of the midfield? Because the next team we're talking about was very close to them last year as well, as uh, friends from India. Yeah, um, I, I think they're going to be in the same spot. Like, formerly his competitive order is starting to somewhat solidify, and unfortunately, mm. Venturi in their position, somewhat being a Mercedes B team, are kind of going to be, you know, midfield at best. As Finley points out, though, will will vice captain Jerome D'Ambrosio be a little lift to this team? I wonder. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see it. The yeah. Grand Tour guest, Jerome D'Ambrosio, <laughs> multiple time Francois Chevere lookalike champion, Jerome D'Ambrosio. <laughs> As you do. So we'll have to wait and see how Venturi holds up on that one. Again, one very very good driver in Mortara there on his day, but. Uh, I think they could be battling the eyes that we're going to talk about next, and that's our friends at Mahindra. Mahindra Racing. Um, it's, as we have to call them now, Team Alex um, for this year. Um, it's the Alex it's the Alex Power Hour with Alex Sims in the 29 car and then Alex Lynn back in the series in the 94 car. Um, I miss when Sims was in a BMW. Those, those were fun times. Um, drove hard. I don't know, like, got, went viral with memes because it was a creative use of umbrellas and taking it easy, but generally speaking, was very good. Like, what do we make of Mahindra here in this situation? Because we know they can punch above their weight. We saw it with Pascal Verlein not too long ago. But We saw that, but again, uh, without Pascal late in last year, things were rough over at Mahindra. Yeah. Um, they seemed to really be lost without Pascal leading the charge. I'll say that Lynn's probably a better driver. And to his credit, he did rattle off three straight point scoring finishes at the Berlin sets topple to end the year. Mm. I I don't think the problem so much is the drivers they have. It's can the team now build around what is effectively a very, a very new lineup. And from certain information that uh, in terms of, you know, their power train was lacking and there was a lot of room for improvement that it's it's not all just down on the drivers like pascal definitely made up the difference in a lot of areas uh he he hit the stage with that team where he just he got another opportunity which we'll talk about in a minute and he bailed as soon as he could i'm out yeah and and on and on that note i think it's kind of bullshit that mahindra are keeping his f1 number hostage but that's besides the point i don't think that Mm. has any bearing in their competitive form yeah, Mahindra's been on a on a bit of a steady decline. Third, fourth, sixth, and then ninth last year, and it's only going to get more competitive. I would like to see them make an uptick in form. Sims is an Epre winner. He's certainly good enough. Yeah, Sims uh, is a proven to, quantity. So is yeah, right. so is Lynn. Yeah, like the, I, I could the see them improving on last year, but not by much. Hmm. It could be another fight for, for a separate fight for ninth because again, there's a big step up in points when we get to the next team compared to last year. If we give that, if we want to use that as a yardstick, certainly. I mean, them and True are pretty close. Then it's quite a quite a jump up to the next team, and uh, there is a lot of excitement in the air um, about this team, especially on the bottom right corner of our Discord window. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the Tag Hill Porsche team, um, and. Uh, when we saw testing going out, again, not really representative, but that didn't stop a certain someone in here being quite giddy with excitement. Again, no, no. The thing, the thing is, I wasn't. I wasn't. It was information from another member of our Discord. He's um, lying. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, new driver. We just mentioned him. Pascal Verline takes Oof. over Johnny's seat alongside Andre Lauderer. Yeah, and it, we're not even halfway through the teams yet. But due to Formula E's nature, you c- I could easily say that anyone from this point onwards is a championship contender. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> this is win-now mode for Porsche. This is year two, and they're pretty much, of all the German manufacturers other than Mercedes, one of the only ones that is committed to this series long-term. We'll get to that in a few teams in a second. They have Lauder who should have been as multiple podiums in this series by now is a proven quantity probably should have won an e-pre at some point down the road and now you don't have an excuse to say well the other car's not over delivering because under delivering because now pascal verline's on the team now yeah and last year was races. last year was very much a tale of uh really three seasons because johnny was nowhere yeah. he was just yeah. nowhere all year um, and then Lauderer was either fighting for wins, crashed out, or midfield. Not, um, not, not the three seasons you really want to go through if you're going to be a driver in a, yeah, in a, in a series in like one, this. Yeah, in one There's no year, real good option um, here. <laughs> yeah, we know the car is good. We know both drivers are good. I want to see them win some races this year. Yeah. And King, I know you mentioned people who were there at testing... It was like months ago, because uh, of the world <laughs> we live like in it. right now. Said that the Porsche was, what was the quote you said? A weapon? Yeah, a weapon. <laughs> like, yeah. It's usually, you know, people don't read the testing times that much in other championships. But in Formula E, when you're fast in testing and people notice it, you're generally going to be fast in the year. Because last year, the champions of the preseason were BMW. And while I they, mean, they were fast, they, they won fa- two of the first three, <laughs> yeah. but the problem yeah, was they were they fast could've... and then uh, they spent half the year in the wall. Mm. And uh, I'm not expecting championship out of them, but I am expecting consistent podiums. A couple wins has oh. to be the goal this year for Porsche. I'm thinking top three in the team's championship at minimum. Yeah, that, that yeah. has to be the goal. Yeah, given who we're talking about and given who people we trust in this Discord with Formula E, they, it seems like top three would be a reasonable aim for this team. It would be a big improvement where they were last year when they were eighth. Um, but the, the the hype is real in the camp. We've seen it out on track. It, look, it certainly passes the eye test in terms of seeing what they can do on a track. And again, we, we do race around Valencia this year now, so that's bound to be interesting, to say the least. It's, it's a hell of a team. You mentioned Lotterer is, I think, a bit better than his results show, and Pascal Verline is more than capable of winning races with the right setup underneath him. It's a I very say, if he exciting was, team. If he was <laughs> scraping podiums in a Mahindra that is generally considered pretty awful behind the he scenes... He was a fingertip away from winning <laughs> Mexico City, goddammit! Yeah, yeah. Um, then I'm expecting great things out of Pascal this year. Indeed. Yeah, that, uh, looking forward to that indeed. Next down the line um, <laughs> is our friends at Panasonic Jaguar Racing. Um, and we have uh, our friend and yours, Mr. Free to Play, Mitch Evans in the, in the number 20 car. What's this wee shit? <laughs> What's this wee shit? I haven't forgotten Mexico last year. <laughs> You're still salty about this, I see. I will never not be. 
I will never log off, etc., etc. Free to play Mitch Bra in the number 20 seat, but he's got a new teammate, and it's one that I don't think at one point we'd ever see in different colours, but here we are in the number 10 car. The bird is indeed the word. Sam Bird in <laughs> representing Jaguar Racing in uh, one of the high-profile moves uh, amongst the, I'd, amongst the I'd grid. I'd say that's the high-profile move of the offseason. Yeah. Sam yeah, Burr has man. been with Virgin Racing his entire Formula E tenure. Yeah, he, he said this was this was I think the right time in his career for a fresh start, and uh, he's gone over to Jaguar. And I mean, King, it's a it's a pretty good team. We know this team's got a lot of upside. Certainly, um, I, more I than think, capable of winning this thing. Yeah, more than capable of winning this thing, mainly due to what everyone remembers last year. Heading into Berlin, Mitch Evans seemed like he was the favorite to win the championship, and then everything collapsed. Yeah, um, j- just by virtue of consistency, just reeling off good results. Yeah, and uh, they got to Berlin, and it all just dried up. The top and Antonio Felix da Costa dropped not just the piano, but the whole ensemble on the field. Yeah, it just, it, it just didn't happen for him in the second half of the year. I was like, call it the uh, the Templehof Knights uh, the mini season, as we like to call it on here. Um, we love look, our Templehof Knights. It's a great team. Like, there is no reason why. It, again, I, I know the more I look at it now, the more I think King is right. The top seven or eight really do genuinely have a shot here. And again, we've seen Jaguar win races, compete on the highest level consistently. There's no reason why this team can't win the championship. They've got a good car, a good powertrain, and two pretty damn good drivers that we know can win. Like I say Birds want to race every season. Yeah. yeah Probably in the last couple of years races. he's just fallen away from championship contention. Which yeah, is strange can... to think about because he's the most he's the most successful driver that has not won a title in the young history of Formula E. Yeah. Well, that's just it. They can win races. They can put together good results. They can't put a season together. At least they haven't so far. And, and that, it, it's time for them to put a season together. Indeed. Look, this is a team that should not be seventh on paper. Like, yeah. they are way better than that. And, and I think you watch them and you think, that's the seventh best team? How does that work? <laughs> um, and, yeah. they. I mean, King, I don't know how you feel about it, but... They for me they tick out they tick just about every box. Yeah, they do tick about every box. Like I I like gut feeling, I don't think Evans is gonna be as good as he was last year, but Bird and a Jag, I'm scared. Yeah, Bird Bird is a proven quantity. We know what he can do and he's got uh he's got a fresh crew around him. He's got a solid car. Let's Looks see what he can do this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the right. thing. Going into this year, Sam Bird has people that he has something to prove. This is the hottest lineup of the 2013 GP3 series, all in one team. <laughs> GP2 series, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize man, for putting Sam Bird down in GP3. Oh, dear. We still miss the days of Catalonia and Sam Bird corner. Um, oh, good times. <laughs> Living up again, let's, let's, let's take a look at Audi. Audi Sport in what will be Goodbye. their final season in Formula E. Yeah, what Audi what do we host. think about this? Because last mm. year we thought Audi was just we thought they were bad. We thought they were awful. 
last mm. year, and then they plugged Rene Rastin during Tempelhof Nights, and he was instantly fighting for podiums. Yeah, big shot in the arm for Audi right at the end of last year when Rast came in and was immediately fighting for podiums. Yeah, was um, immediately outperforming Lucas Degrassi it, day one. Yes. It clearly all all the talks like all oh, the car like. With Degrassi now, I'm like, oh man, I wish this car performed better. Nah, 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 fam. Nah, that's gone. Car. That's dead. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't speak of that no more around here. Damn it. And yeah, uh, no surprise, they've retained that lineup. Lucas Degrassi in the number 11 car, Rene Rast in the 33. Again, like, we all know Audi has the pedigree to be able to do this, but they An all been... new powertrain this year as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, if they, if they, is, is this is this going to be a case of them going out on a bang? Um, yes, because hopefully a metaphorical one, rather while, than a literal one. While Audi, while Audi's factory team is leaving, they'll still be providing their powertrain to Virgin. So they still mm. have a reason to develop this powertrain. Like just because they're leaving doesn't mean yeah, they're going to the stop caring. The factory involvement. Yeah. Mm. And. Uh, and yeah, Rene Rast. Rene Rast, for all my personal beef with him over the uh, over uh, Temple Hoff Nights last year, he is he is box office. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. one of the best drivers in the world. He proves it every time he steps into damn well anything he gets into. Despite anything, um, there's no reason why Rene Rast can't be easy top five or higher. In the championship this year, I, I think Rene Rast is going to solidify his legacy as Audi's Grim Reaper. Last year, he won DTM, <laughs> and then Audi left. After, you know, Audi announced are leaving. Rene Rast wins the title. God, we haven't <laughs> we haven't had an Audi Grim Reaper since the heyday of like the big banger diesel LMPs. <laughs> yes, oh, and, and now. Rene Rass has come to Formula E to, to take Audi away with a trophy. Where where's his scythe? <laughs> like uh, I don't know. I know Andre. It's it still it, it's still plunged into the left front corner of Andre Lauder's Porsche. I uh, I still feel iffy about the circumstances of which Daniel App was asked to leave the team. But Rene Rass is a serious good driver to plug in his place. And this is the first time that there has been a genuine struggle for power and dominance within Audi Sport app Schaeffler. Because Lucas Degrassi, well, he prides himself on being Formula E's very first test driver. He prides himself on being the franchise. And for all the talk about his struggles, he was still sits in the championship and regularly scoring top tens. And you gotta feel like this is kind of his last roll of the dice to see... Is he going to come back into championship contention? Or are we starting to see the decline of the franchise of Formula E? Mm. I think this franchise is going to end up like the Sanchez. (laughs) Oh! Oh! Someone someone who's listening, enshrine that in the quotes channel of our supporters club. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Yeah, um, yeah. I I tend to agree with King. I think... uh, I think Rast has his number. I really do. Really? Yeah. So is, is that going right to be one of our bold? Pre- is that going to be one of our M one hundred one bold predictions for the motorsport season? Rast beats Degrassi head to head. I don't think um, it's that bold, to be honest. I know. No, I don't think really? it's that bold either. We, we we think Lucas is on is on the other side of the hill. That bad? Uh, yep. Okay. It's it's going to be like, hey, Lucas, come on, we're heading to LMDH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's. <laughs> 
You talk about that like it's like it's a farm upstate. Jesus fucking Christ! It sounded it, it, it sounded like he was taking Lucas behind the barn. I was just like, oh, I was just like, it's Jesus ti- King. Yeah, and I, it's time to be a plastic platinum in GT4 competition, buddy. No, yeah, and um, and I look back to the last time I I really remember them, uh in the Audi camp together in the same series was at Le Mans 2015. And as Audi's challenge began to fall apart in the later hours, it was Rast in the number nine Audi who was really the last man standing. Mm. Look, so uh, you don't need any convincing from us. Like Rene Rast is genuinely one of the pound for pound best racing drivers on the, on the planet. So yeah, we've yeah, been saying that for years. Wait, 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 Rene everyone stop. Rene everyone stop. Everyone stop. Everyone stop. Our resident Audi supporter in the Discord, Sasha, Sasha. has posted, <laughs> and this needs to go in the quotes channel too, Lucas, future is an attitude and your time is <laughs> Beautiful. That's beautifully done. Well done, Sasha. Oh. You just hit the quote section. Congratulations, sir. Uh, beautifully done. Um, let's move up a little bit further, shall we? Into last year's top five and uh, BMW Andretti Motors uh, Autosport, I should say. Another and, team that's leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, uh, the, the last season with BMW as a factory supplier in the. Sport. Oh, how much promise last year started with, and oh, how it fell the fuck apart. Oh, uh, um, yes, ended up in the bin very quickly. Um, yeah, they. they the team was shit hot to start the year. Won two of the first three, and now only win one other race for the rest of the year. Um, it was rough, but one of their drivers, I am certainly convinced, I think has got every chance of being a contender for the championship. A guy that is genuinely excellent, Maxi Gunther in the twenty-eight oh. car. Maxi um, Gunther's legit, y'all. Oh, he's he very, is. very, very. He dragged Dragon Racing to top fives that ha- they had no business scoring. No. And he took two wins in a season that was otherwise, you know, it was either win or bust for Matt Gunther in 2019-20. He's yeah. got to string together some consistency. I'm confident he will. I'm looking yeah. at Jake Dennis. I'm thinking that's a shrewd pick. Yeah, yeah Jake it's, Dennis it's ain't an no interesting scrub. pick. Um, yeah. This team, if they iron out the mistakes of last year and they were... They were many, and they came quick and fast. They were rich and plentiful. Yeah, they were rich and plentiful. <laughs> if they can iron out the mistakes, they could they could conceivably destroy the field this season. Mm. I'm going to bring up something here. That uh, Jake Dennis, um, in 2015, was only bested in the championship by Felix Rosenquist and Antonio Giovinazzi. He finished ahead of Leclerc, he finished ahead of Stroll, he finished ahead of Russell, and Albon, and, oh, Matt Gunther's there, too. Oh, and some guy mm. named Ferrucci, but who cares? Yeah, yeah fuck yeah. that guy. Um, <laughs> look, Mans is good. He, he is a yeah. proven quantity. We know he's good behind the wheel of a race car. Absolutely. It, it's been kind of a reoccurring theme throughout this whole preview, is the, the depth of field just purely on the driver's side is phenomenal this year in Formula E. Like I don't I don't agree with the assertion that like Formula E drivers are just saying they enjoy it for the money. I think they genuinely like, enjoy racing. I, I think that's a narrative created by the oh well it's just an insert series here, reject series. No, mm. this is a series that on its own merits has a superb driver lineup. Yeah. Yeah. 
like we've had complimentary things to say about almost every driver on this roster so far and like Jake Dennis is a very shrewd bit of a business for BMW to bring in in the second car we we know I know it was a little bit in in the past but we know he has beaten in similar machinery some of the very best racing drivers in the world that we look at now half a decade later Um, yeah like christmas after after spending a whole year in the aston martin bmw dtm program oh Uh, oh oh god he he like led that program that's yes. Yeah. That program was so irrelevant. I forgot he was involved. Yeah, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, here's our R Motorsport Astons with Jake Dennis and Ferdinand Habsburg and Paul DeResta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sexy! <laughs> and then Audi and Bob, and then Audi and BMW said, "Hold our half of Ison." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, King, what do you, what do you make of BMW's chances here? Again, Ooh. all round, very, very strong on paper. I think. Very strong lineup, I think. I think they're just going to spend the whole year thinking about what's next, because Andretti don't want to leave. Like, BMW may be leaving, but Andretti don't want to leave. What's going to happen with the drivers? Like, is, is Jake Dennis going to... Like, is is Gunther tied to BMW? Is he leaving after this is over? Or is it he going to stay it, with any Andretti project after this? Like yeah, that's it. Feels like that's the that's their problem this year. Is that all the ingredients that are there are very very good, but the mm. shadow of twenty twenty two season looms very large over this team. Yeah, yeah. And if I if I'm if I'm Andretti, I do not want to let a guy as talented as Max Gunther potentially walk. That is an excellent number one guy in your seat. Not without a damn good it. replacement already exactly. in the pipeline. I'll say that Indeed. much. They're a very, very good team. And again, absolutely wants to look out for as BMW says goodbye. Speaking of veteran presences, Envision Virgin Racing. Um, Harley we've... Davidson Virgin Racing. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Will> you stop. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> And a again another great lineup here. We got in, we got Robin Friends in the number four car. Another excellent you know race winning level driver at the front of the field. And uh, RJ, you're final... looking very you're looking very smug over there, aren't <laughs> 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 Mister Japanese Motorsport on the top right corner, looking very smug because he got the rookie in there, but it's quite a good one in the thirty seven car, Nick Cassidy, ladies and gentlemen. And this uh, is going to be oof. the most fun team in the series. <laughs> Robin Friends is awesome. Nick Cassidy is going to be rookie of the year. Box office. Both these and, guys are box office. Like they're yeah. not. They, they just got to have a consistent season. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, there, there are yeah. not many people. Like there are not many people in motorsport who I can, you know, say, yeah, they could fill Sandbird's f- shoes at Virgin, but Nick Cassidy is definitely one of those dudes. Everything over the last couple of years. Everything Nick Cassidy touches turns to gold. He is competitive yeah. in anything you plug him into. Indeed. One of the most versatile, all-round, incredibly quick talents in motorsport. Robin Friends is no scrub either. I mean, yeah. I know last, no, last, not at last, all. Year was kind, last year was kind of a down year, though, because he <laughs> took a dip, didn't win a race after winning two last season. Um, I, I think he'll get that sorted, but yeah, Friends has proven he's been good in Junior Formula. He's been excellent in Junior Formula. Hell, Robin Friends was what Matt Verstappen was hyped up to be before Matt Verstappen even stepped out of go karts. Yeah, yeah. And then he's been and, great in GT cars. He's been great in DTM. He's been a race winner in Formula E. 
Yeah. Like, Friends has been excellent in Formula E from, like, year two of this series. He's always been in and around that mix. Like, he's from pretty much the start of his time in the series, he's been outstanding. So, again, it's it's an incredible team. Like, drive line up on paper. We know Virgin is always in or around the winner's circle. And again, they're always good for a couple of wins a year. Is this the year they finally put it all together? I don't Another know. It's going to be well. tough. Another thing as well is they're the other team, and going forward they will be potentially the replacement for the factory. They're the other team getting the, the new in-house Audi powertrain for this year. Yeah, it's going to be good. They have all the cards uh, stacked in their favor. Yeah, they're they're another team with all the parts. They they have all the parts to win a championship, but we we gotta we gotta put rubber to pavement before we really know how good they are. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Again, incredibly strong team on paper. Again, we, we're gonna keep repeating ourselves down the line because uh, <laughs> next up, uh, Mercedes. Um, hello. Um, uh, here comes the hammer because it's the Mercedes team. Um, and what was our closing image at the end of last season? Yeah, yeah, it was a Stoffel season, as King likes to say. Um, it's an incredible team. Number five, Stoffel Van Dorn, and then the seventeen car, twenty nineteen Formula Two champion Nick De Vries. I, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. Do I even yeah. need to explain how this team is great? <laughs> like. Yeah, great team. Um, Stoffel Van Dorn, anything he touches throughout his whole career turns to gold, unless it turns papaya orange and shit. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, I think he's a lot happier with a car that is uh, capable of scoring points in the second half of the year. I think it's just happier to have like a PlayStation 5 for a change. I don't know about you. Yeah. Uh, eh, I-, I think he would have preferred the real thing at the end of last year. Sorry, Stoffel. Yeah. Um, it's like- and Nick DeVries. Last year's Rookie of the Year. Last year's Rookie of the Year, but Stoffel pretty comprehensively dominated him all year. Yeah, it, I think that's to be expected because being a rookie in Formula E is very, 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 very hard. Um, is it, it, even that this was only is, Stoffel's second season. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel not, like yeah. this is... This is another championship or bus kind of team that I'm looking at. Yeah, they're they're top definitely, three minimum. I mean, it's it's Mercedes. It's the Mercedes Ben mantra. It's always win now. Uh, though it's it's clear that if they do win now, it's going to be Stoffel. Like Devries is, unless things drastically change, Devries is somewhat the number two. Like he he his number might be seventeen, but he certainly knows seventy seven. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very strong number two. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. God Twelfth? Um, <laughs> Twelfth. Twelfth. You think um, Nick DeVries remembers all those years in the McLaren Academy with Stoffel right up above him in the, in the hierarchy for all those years to the point that he never got a Formula One ride himself? Yeah, that must have sucked. Um, and yeah, let's. It's easy to forget that it that, that it, while it was close uh, at the end of the season, we are talking about Stoffel Van Dorn, last year's championship runner-up. Yeah. Um, yeah, because right up was, at the it, end, he went on Mercedes ran on a very very good string of results. Yeah, and 
and it's easy to forget that because the, it was a bloodbath in the fight for second towards the end of last season. The Costa was uh, was uh, down the road like three races yeah, it was, prior, it was, but it was picking to see who went to <laughs> Antonio Felix da Costa's guillotine. Yeah. And yeah, Stoffel did come out on top in that bloodbath last year in a highly competitive situation where literally one of half the field could have ended up in second going into those final two races in Tempelhof. Um, So Stoffel, proven clutch guy. We all know how great a racing driver he is. We all know how McLaren did him dirty. You don't need me to tell you that on this show. You know, Nick DeFries, solid pair of hands in the second car. Merckx, big name reputation, big name car. We know it can win pretty much at will. Um, they're going to want a championship. Simple as that. Moving along, uh, we have last year's championship runners-up and always a solid pair of hands at, at the worst of times. Nissan Edams and uh, all reliable, as, as a SpongeBob might might say in the cartoon. Uh, in number twenty-three, Sebastian Buemi. We all know how how just just how good he Sebastian is. Sebastian Buemi, well, eternal, e- no. eternal. He's here forever. He will bring together all of Japanese motorsport in one tight, convenient, politically sound package. Um, and the number twenty-two car next to him, Oliver Rowland, who was. Pretty damn good last year was in that bloodbath for second in the championship. <laughs> he was four I'd points say, off second, end up fifth. Like, it's not fair. For most, of the year, <laughs> really? for, for most of the year last year, you would have never guessed that Nissan would end up second, but right, right at the end, they they got their shit together, and uh, mm. you know, ever since the inception of Formula E, this team and its many guys is is a perennial threat. Yeah. And yeah, considering there. last always. year Nissan Edams, they'll let you know a thousand times over that hey, the the powertrain setup we wanted to run this season got banned, and we had to throw together something in an emergency. And despite mm. that, they finished second in the championship. Now they had an entire off season to prepare for this. I'm slightly worried about how good they're gonna be. <laughs> Look, we have zero question marks over their drivers. Roland was excellent. Buemi is maybe pound for pound the best driver in the yeah. series. When there's, there's certainly an argument was you can at make his there. peak in like the first handful of seasons, we were talking about this dude is making this series boring. That's how <laughs> yeah. good he was. Yeah, and, he, yeah. Of and course that's how good he can off. still be. I mean, yeah. Christmas, he only turns 33 this season. Yeah. Keep in Damn mind, it. he's also on a, stri- a hat trick of Le Mans 24-hour victories alongside <laughs> his co-driver in the number 8 Toyota. Decent like, driver. De- decent. Decent. Yeah, like, <laughs> Nissan Edams are going to be that old house on the hill. It was there before you. They're going to be there long after you're gone. Yeah. Unflappable. It, like, as, as Thanos would say, inevitable. Um, <laughs> and all this despite there. all the unrest at the Nissan, Renault, Mitsubishi alliance. Carlos Gondu. Like they couldn't even be broken by Carlos Gondu crimes. Yeah. No. Unflappable. They're just they're just the most the consummate professionals. They are always there. They can win any given race on paper if they get their shit in line. They are yeah, yeah. Probably, when they have a uh, when they have a when they have a consistent car and a consistent team and they can minimize mistakes, they're just they work harder and more in depth at this game than anyone else. 
Yeah, they are incredibly... Look, if you're beating Edams over a season, you're probably you're a doing very right. good team. You're either, you're either A, a very good team, or B, you've probably just won the championship. Just like the, <laughs> yeah. the team with last team on the list that did so last year, and pretty much slaughtered the field in a bloodbath, because Antonio Felix da Costa was uh, that dude. What guy? That, uh, that guy last year. Yeah, the, the, t- the rulers. Champions. The rulers of <laughs> Tempelhof. DS yes. Tachita. Yes. DS Tachita, you know the drill. It's an unchanged lineup. Number 13, Antonio Felix da Costa, and his best friend, and I was going to say best frenemy, number 25, Jeff. 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 John Eric Verne in the 25 car, and. Uh, uh, is there any movement on their position as favourites going into this? Because we all know this team is a monster. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it goes it to when when it came to light that Antonio Felix Acosta was going to do uh, an IndyCar test with Rayal Letterman Lanigan. People questioned if he was going to leave the series. He told mm. people no. He wanted to stay in Formula E. He wanted to do in Formula E what Lewis Hamilton did in F1, which that's a hell of a (laughs) statement. That is, that is uh, pretty much akin to LeBron James going out on the floor of American Airlines Arena and saying, "Not one, not two, not three." Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a, a small asterisk next to DS Tachita is that they didn't run their new powertrain in testing. Nope. They're saving oh. it for a rainy day. And they were still oh. pretty fast. Yeah. Look, Jeff is one of the best the best drivers this series ever had. Yeah, an, an, an early adopter. We all know what he's capable of. The Costa absolutely ran the field over last year. Yeah. His solution to the championship was, I'm going to keep winning until the championship is over. These these guys have both been here since season one. Uh, For Mm. DaCosta, it was kind of a a more gradual climb at the top because he Mm. he spent time in some bad, bad teams. Yeah. Uh, Like before Andretti got that BMW deal, when Team Aguri was still a thing, and he actually won a race with them. Yeah, uh, they, and, and for Vern, it was just like <laughs> he always had that potential, and then he finally put it together, and then he became elite. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say there was back in the day when Aguri was better at giving away caps than they were at actually being good in Formula E. Um, I've got one of those caps. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't got one of those caps? Um, but uh, it's it's it is very. It's, oh, poor Cam. See, you didn't beg hard enough on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> Penalty, but unnecessary horniness. I think the only, I think yards. the thing that I worry about is we know DeCosta and Vern are very competitive on the surface. Do we think that their partnership is going to get more toxic? Do we think that there's going to be a swing in the power? Do you think Vern is gonna is gonna have a resurgence of form? I think it's going to depend on how potentially the new powertrain suits each driver. Um, mm. Because last year, DaCosta ended up so far ahead of Vern late in the season that they couldn't have on-track beef. And I rate Jeff very, very highly as a driver. Mm. 
Uh, it feels like their relationship near the end of last year was going from early 2014 Mercedes F1 to post-Monaco yeah. Mercedes F1. I, I was going to say, it was like, I looked at it like they were frenemies towards the end of last year. It's like, I know Jev was very happy for Antonio when he actually won the championship. He was like, come here, old boy, and next thing you know that he's jumping in each other's arms. And I was like... You can tell that Jeff was not exactly best pleased that he'd been dethroned. It's like he had the steel chair by his side ready to go and he didn't quite swing it. It's like when Lorenzo was winning titles. It's like when... No. Scratch. It's like when Marquez won his first couple titles and Rossi hmm. wasn't in the hunt. And yeah. then Rossi was in the hunt. And Marquez yeah. was still winning, and things got really, really bad. I think, I think it's it's like it's like having a lit match over a barrel of kerosene. I think, I think it would not take much to blow that team up. And the, I think, these two hit each other on track. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it it would not take much. They're two very volatile personalities. They, they're two guys that have their hearts on their sleeve. They're not afraid to say what they mean. They are very aggressive on track when they have to be. Oh, we love like, it. But that's the beauty of the team. That's the beauty of Tichita. And they're on the knife edge. And like that's like I have a feeling that that might be the only way they don't win this championship. That, that's it's, the it's, thing about this series. And the difference between, look... If Mercedes' car wasn't as good as it was from 2014 to 2016, and Rosberg and Lewis had the relationship that they have, that could have very easily put their championships in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. we have a similar situation. Diaz Tachita is a yeah, Diaz Tachita is a fantastic team with a great car and two very good drivers who probably don't get along too well behind the scenes. Mm. And not to mention as well, it's got to suck for Vern to be beaten by a first-year teammate in a team that he partially owns. Yeah, yeah. he's co-owner. People forget this that. This is the house yeah. he helped build. And the Costa yeah. walked right in and took his couch. It's like yeah. her macho man Randy Savage watching Hulk Hogan hot dog yeah, in the ring. Things changed drastically because, what, two seasons ago we were talking about, hey, Jeff might have just tried to fix one of the New York E-Free races. <laughs> Two oh. years is a long time in motorsport. <laughs> yeah, of course. yeah, we loved I his mean, bromance with Andre Lauder when they were teammates. This is a very, very yeah. different dynamic. Different times, different times. So those are your runners and riders for the 2021 Formula E World Championship that we can say for the first time. Does So, okay, before we go, Team... Driver championships. I'm going to go around the horn. So let's go RJ first, and I'll go clockwise. Um, I think the team's championship stays at DS Tachita. Mm-hmm. I also think that the driver's championship stays with Antonio Felix da Costa, the special one, the Portuguese superstar athlete that's not going to let you down as a person, <laughs> we hope. Um <laughs> I keep, uh, I mean, that's about the only sure things that I know about this season while we're still putting the calendar, uh, as we're going along in the season. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, here's open. Cam, what do you reckon? (sighs) 
<laughs> we know what team you're gonna pick. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I think, oh. no, no. I think. Stop, I think stop. for the team. Pick em, no, pick him. No, pick him. You coward. <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> I think that a dryer. I think the team's championship stays at Diaz to Cheetah. I'm gonna go a little spicy on my driver's pick. I think Rene Rast. Oh wow. Rast all the way. Okay. Interesting. King. I I hate to say it, but I agree with Cam. Teams to wow. Cheetah. Drivers Rene Rast. He's gonna bring Ooh. he's gonna bring the scythe out. <laughs> he's gonna bring the scythe. <laughs> Just Goku. I, I, I did not think like, I was going to um, have anyone okay. agree with. I um, didn't think I was going to have any allies. That <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh, for the first time, maybe in the history of a four man booth for Motorsport 101, Cam and King agreed on something. Um, truly dark times here, folks. Um, <laughs> me? Again, I'm going to stick with. It's going to be a clean sweep teams wise. I think DSGT will win the team's title. But I think Jeff takes his title back. I just have this gut feeling on Jeff. I think Jeff is not going to want to tolerate getting beaten by a man that stole his lunch money twice in a row. Like, uh, there, I, to I, an I, extent, I, 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 I see that as well because I think Jeff is a driver who is always better when he has something motivating him. Yes. And now he has it. He's a heart-on-sleeve driver, and I like heart-on-sleeve drivers. They're fun, um, quite frankly. So, yeah, <laughs> we all are in agreement on DSG for the teams, but three different driver picks. We have RJ keeping with the Costa, the bottom row all saying Rene Rass for the driver's title, and me saying Jeff. This is going to be a fascinating season to watch, and as mentioned, it all starts next weekend, and by the time you're probably watching it this weekend, um, Henrietta. On February 26th, we'll be back to review that then, uh, early March, so uh, looking forward to that as well. I guess it really is mainstream motorsport season's opener, I guess you could say, um, on that one. But uh, yeah, can't wait to see how this season goes. We really aren't exaggerating when we say we think there's easily 14 cars in this field that can win a, that can win a race at any given point, and that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. Let's wrap this up. Faces, uh, you can find us one more time. If you're watching us on YouTube, hi, subscribe, hit the bell if you liked us. All of that good stuff. Um, our Twitter handles are on the screen right now if you're watching us on there. If not, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell for RJ, at Ryan Eric King for King, and CBuckley917. Uh, the podcast itself is on motorsport underscore 101. Also, I love that RJ's still waving like it's, like it's an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire when they go through the guys on the road. It's like, oh, it's wave for the next 30 seconds. Um, it's great. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Instagram at motorsport101pod. And we're on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 if you'd like back us financially on there. Five bucks gets you early access to all of the audio episodes of the show and anything we've caught up of until we're back on we're back on normal pace. Ten bucks for the video versions of all our new shows and the supporters club of our Discord server. Thanks to everyone in there that's been watching along for the last hour forty. It's been, it's been a marathon edition this time round, but uh, it was very very fun indeed. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back. I want to say in a couple of weeks' time, um, most two likely weeks. to yeah, we'll be back in two weeks' time to <laughs> review the opening doubleheader weekend in Riyadh. 
for the Formula E season debut, and we're probably going to preview the F1 season pretty soon as well, because we'll have testing rolling up the week after, so that should be fun. Um, so, until then, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. Stay safe out there, Texas, and until then, thanks for watching and listening. Sayonara. Later, y'all! Bye! Pascal Verline so, to win three races. And, <laughs> oh lord, and just in case anyone was annoyed, yes, we know, it's pronounced Riyadh. That's always confused me. Like, I really, I, I was like, I'm, I look, I'm really bad at pronunciations, okay? It's one of these things that just happens. <laughs> yeah, don't you hate it when you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable? <laughs> uh,